So welcome to the Do More Good podcast, season three. All good things come in threes, don't they, Kenny? Of course they do. Three musketeers, little pigs, triangles, your degree. <laughs> we should probably know what we're doing by now, right? You'd think so. There are times you have to step away from that and do the bigger, scarier, crunchier, harder work because it pays off in the end. Making sure that the senior people from that organisation get involved with the partnership. It's not scary. The worst thing that can happen is that someone can go, bloody hell, that was a bit of a cock-up. Do I've had a few folk not from Scotland that have said to me, I didn't know you could do that with bagpipes. <laughs> I think the, the message is... Do more good. Yeah! Okay, here we are, James, with uh, an exciting guest this week. So we are delighted to welcome to the Do More Good podcast our guest for this week. After starting her career in the legal profession, our guest joined the charity sector in 2008 in a professional capacity with Laza as their head of marketing and business development. And after a successful five-year stint, she successfully launched her own digital agency, helping charities and non-profits implement, design and scope their digital strategies. This was alongside her continued work to give back to the sector through volunteering, pro bono work, and she's also held a variety of trustee roles for several charities. When she's not busy with her volunteer and trustee work or helping charities unlock the potential of dig- digital, she is writing for Third Sector and others, chairing the charity Digital Code and being a leading voice for the sector on digital transformation. And really helping people be the best that they can be. So we're really pleased when she said that she would give up some of her lunch hour to join us and super excited to hear from Zoe Amar. Thank you very much. That's such a kind introduction. <laughs> Thank you for having me. No worries. The, the power, what you can take from LinkedIn these days is, <laughs> is amazing, isn't it? No. Kenneth was very careful with this one because we, we were just discussing off air how you're a, mem- you're a key member of the um, St Albans Mafia. <laughs> so we are on best behaviour today. Charity Mafia, <laughs> not <laughs> Mafia. Not, yeah, yeah, just to be clear. <laughs> oh, is it not the actual... <laughs> completely misunderstood. <laughs> <laughs> so Zoe, thank you so much for joining us. Um, as we've kind of just touched on, you've had a kind of a fantastic and, and, and varied career mm. in, the, in the social goods sector. Can you remember back to the point where you knew this was going to be your career or, or, or your calling? Yes, yes I can. Uh, I think a, a really key turning point for me was after I left the legal profession because I was a lawyer for a, a few years and whilst I enjoyed it and I enjoyed working with clients and I'm going to say a, a bit more about how law is relevant to working digital later but I ended up doing a placement with Laza before I actually began working for them. And what I found was I remember one day being in a meeting and it was such a contrast to all the meetings that I'd been in when I was a lawyer where you'd have the partner kind of come in and tell people what to do and then just, just kind of leave and then everyone just got on with it. In this meeting that I was sitting in this charity, everyone was really listening to each other and everyone was so focused on the difference they were going to make, how they were going to help charities and, and what they were just trying to do to make the world a better place. Uh, and at that moment, I thought, this is going to be the rest of my life. i really, really happy. I love doing this job. That was a real wow. kind of epiphany, a real moment there yes. that you can, you can pin that back on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I guess it was a moment in which my life changed. 
And how how early in your career was that? In your in your legal career? Uh, yeah, so I left law school. This is going to be a test of my memory <laughs> now. But I left law school in two thousand and two, two thousand and three, I mm-hmm. think. And then I yeah, and then I I le- left being a lawyer. I think it was towards the end of two thousand and seven. Okay, and going into the kind of <laughs> law school and and obviously the legal profession was was there? A, can you remember back kind of before making that decision? Was was there anything about your decision to go into legal? that you thought, oh, I want to I help people, that kind of charitable aspect to that? It? Yeah, it's really interesting, actually, because I remember talking to other people at, at law school and lots of people say, I want to do mergers and acquisitions, <laughs> I want to work in investment banking and yeah. those sorts of things. And, of course, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, yeah. if that's what gets you out of bed in the morning, then go for it. Yeah. Uh, but for me, I was always quite focused on law, which was about helping people. Yeah. So my brother-in-law uh, was an employment lawyer. My sister does medical negligence law and in fact she's still doing it mm. and I, I come from a kind of family which has a, a background in the NHS so mm. my dad was a doctor my mum was a nurse and so I was always brought up that a, a job has to be something where you're helping people and you're making a difference yeah oh, that makes nice. sense well, we often talk about people coming into the sector having trained for something else and how fundraising isn't seen <laughs> as, a, as a career for, for kids, maybe. But, and you touched on this earlier, but are there things from your law background that, that are relevant with, with what you do now and kind of skills and, and things that you've, you've brought with you? Yeah, I, I think there's a few things, actually. So the, the first thing that I think law gives you an incredible training in, and, and mm. I'm really grateful to have had the opportunity to do it, is that real focus on process. Uh, and obviously that's really helpful when you're going through a process like developing a, a, a digital product or a digital service. You need to have a, a, a really well thought out process. And the other thing where I found it really, really useful uh, is about managing risk. Uh, so we do quite a lot of work. Now, some of it slightly hush hush, mm. uh, where we go and help charities who are dealing with some quite significant risks in digital. Mm. So a classic one will be a situation which I'm sure a lot of us have heard about where they have a relationship with a supplier, uh, sometimes quite often a, a website supplier, where things have gone horribly wrong, uh, mm. the site isn't working, uh, they're locked in, paying this enormous amount for hosting and management of the site, uh, and so having to go in and deal with those kind of risks and, and, and manage them, um, having a legal background has, has actually been quite helpful. Um, mm. And we do some other work around risk, which I find quite fascinating in a nerdy way I think because of my legal (laughs) background um, where you know we have to advise people about some very serious things Mm. Um, so for example uh, CEOs getting horrible abuse online um, CEOs getting death threats Mm. Um, a few times we've had to deal with organisations who are preparing for um, fundraising events which could be uh, targeted by terrorists Mm. you know so some really kind of difficult yeah some difficult crisis comm stuff um mm. so absolutely having an understanding of risk how to identify it uh, how to manage it has, has been a real blessing there mm. um and then also i think the final thing which i'm really grateful to have had the opportunity to learn about from being a, a lawyer back in the day is that it's an incredible training in how to deal with stakeholders um so i don't know whether you've ever bought or or sold property or even just renting obviously people get angry people get quite angry it's quite a stressful time and you know i understand that i've moved house myself uh, and actually that is a really really good grounding in what happens when you're looking at uh, organizational change Mm. and digital transformation Mm. Uh, people are going through a stressful time Uh, they don't know where they're going to be two years from now 
now. They are struggling with those issues of taking people with them, uh, the ambiguity that comes with uh, digital change, uh, and actually dealing with people who are getting quite stressed about when they're going to complete on their house purchase um, was really, really good training to learn how to hold hands really effectively and, and to look after people and get them comfortable with change. Yeah, and just picking up on a point you mentioned there about risk and and reflecting back on my own experience, do you think, I can imagine it being quite difficult for small charities that maybe are growing quite quickly or even medium mm. charities that are growing to that kind of larger status where they don't have that in-house legal resource, where maybe some of the decisions they're making do have a big impact on risk, but almost it's someone's call to say, well, do we just handle this ourselves or do we go to an external legal profession? Can you talk a bit about maybe your experience or what you've seen in that, in, in, in that area? Is, maybe is that not the horror stories. <laughs> maybe not the horror <laughs> stories, but I guess just how organisations yeah. are potentially dealing with risk. I think that's an interesting point. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it relates to a couple of things. Um, so as you say, obviously there's a skills gap issue mm. and that could be about uh, we're not quite sure what a new website built involves mm. but also uh, not having the legal skills in-house, as yeah. you say, uh, to go through those terms and conditions. So I would advise any charity who's listening who's in that situation, however urgent your project is, just take your time. Um, even if you've got no budget at all for legal advice, um, maybe go to your local chamber of commerce or your local CVS and ask if there's a lawyer you know who can just do this pro bono spend an hour just going through the contract mm. uh, and advising you about what you are getting yourself into yeah. um, and then I also think from the perspective of, of are we making a right decision for improving whether we can improve what we're doing digital mm. uh, I think you've just got to step back and think about what you're trying to do mm. um, so why are we doing this? Who else is, is doing it? Is there someone that we could partner with, for example, if it's a new digital product or service? How do we know if it's good value for money? Mm. Just asking even those common sense questions, mm. even if you are worried that you don't know enough about digital, just doing that is really going to make a difference. Mm. Make it part of the process. Yeah. And as a sector, we're great at... I know we talk about this a lot. We're, we're great at sharing, and you can pick up the phone to your contemporary in another organisation and more than likely they will they will share maybe ben, a, a sort of benchmarking of, of what they paid for things or how long things took or what we might expect. Yeah, yeah, we're quite lucky like that, I guess, aren't we? So, we, I mean, I guess we've been quite lucky to have a few founders and, and, and consultants on the, on the pod, um, some others from the uh, St. Albans Charity Mafia uh, as, as well, <laughs> but that's the last mention we'll give of, of that group. It sounds uh, terribly sinister, I can assure <laughs> you, we're all very nice. Very nice, we have tea and cake, fine, <laughs> it's, it's very civilised, <laughs> I bake, you know, it's, 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 all good. it's all good. We're a nice charity mafia very oh, nice that's good I, good yeah. gangsters good, g- good <laughs> gangsters yes yeah. good uh, gangsters but we're always interested in, in in kind of understanding people's reasoning or what what led to them kind of making that jump into to, to going it alone can you talk us through a little bit about founding your business and, and what led to that decision yeah, so obviously I've been working for a charity for five years where we've been advising other charities and also government bodies about how they could use technology really effectively. 
And I'd, I'd just got to a, a point, uh, having just had my second child, um, I had a, a toddler who was two and a half then, and, and my baby, who was then six months. And I, I, I just felt like I wanted to do something that gave me a bit more flexibility. Now, now of course, I've um, ultimately <laughs> started working um, quite, quite long hours, as, as you often do when you run your own business. But I just felt that I'd got to a point where I could go out there and I could make more of a difference. I could help charities use digital really effectively to achieve their goals. Mm. Uh, and, and that was the thing that, that motivated me to just set up on my own and, and just go for it. Certainly having kids, that, that diplomacy comes into comes to the fore there, isn't it? <laughs> two, two youngsters. And, um, you haven't met my six-year-old, clearly. <laughs> Maybe that's a new, a new podcast show. Um, Fundraising experts and their kids. <laughs> that could families. be uh, the fundraising yeah. families. That could be a good one. Um, so, what's the mission of the business? Why do people work with you? Yeah, so what we do is we help charities and other non-profits lead digital change effectively. So it's really about sitting down with them and thrashing out, where are you going with this stuff? Uh, so what do you want to use digital for? Where is it going to take you in a year's time? Um, and let's work out how you're going to get there. An increasing focus of our work is obviously, as a result of that, very much about leadership. And it's about how do you make better decisions. Uh, what I always find is that once an organization really starts to get excited about digital, you know, they want to go really fast with it. Uh, <laughs> and they want to do everything, absolutely everything. And I always say digital is not an all-you-can-eat buffet. Um, you've got to focus on doing three or four things absolute maximum mm. over this year and do them really well. Nail them. Don't try and do 10 things because mm. you're not going to be able to do it all. Tapas. <laughs> Digital tapas. <laughs> <Yeah>. Small <laughs> plates. Try things. See what you like. Then go for the full meal. Off that. Go, go to the buffet. I like yeah. that. That's a good analogy. <laughs> nice. Nice. I might have to borrow that. So you're typically called in when people are looking at is it digital is is it is it digital transformation or is it come to you with a a, a problem here's our our mm. income's gone from here mm. to here we think digital might be part of the solution how can you help us you know change the curb so people come to us in in both of those situations okay. so it could be oh we want to really think about where we're going yeah. uh, quite often that might be triggered by an organizational strategy review. Mm-hmm. So that might be a one instance. The second one is about the burning platform. So it could be that crisis situation. Mm. Our income's going down. We can't attract the right staff. Uh, mm. We can't get a certain kinds of decision past the board. Uh, so it will either be that aspirational thing of this is, could be where we're going and we need you to help us work out what that is and how it looks mm. like. Or it could be everything's on fire. Please come and sort it out. Mm. And, and of course, digital transformation is, I think I had this question in previously and, and removed it, but it's a phrase that we hear thrown around so often. Mm. I mean, er, you know, everybody, yeah. you don't have to go long on Google to find an article on the latest article on digital transformation. But so I guess as, a, as an expert in this field, what does digital transformation mean 
to you? Mm. And how do you think people should interpret that statement when they hear it? Yeah, so again, I think it's one of those terms that really gets bandied about. (laughs) And we made a conscious decision in the code of practice not to use the term digital transformation. Uh, So I'll tell you in a moment what I think it is. Um, But an interesting aside is that if you talk to SCVO, who are the equivalent of NCVO up in Scotland, Mm. uh, they really don't like the term digital transformation and instead like to use the term digital evolution. Uh, And I think that's quite nice, actually, quite nice, because even the term transformation in itself suggests some kind of big bang and overnight change and actually I think we all know that the most effective organisational change is not actually like that it's not you know you you appear suddenly as as, as something completely different um, Mm. when you come into the office the next morning but the way I always describe digital transformation is that it's very much about integrating digital across your organisation so it should not be about layering digital on top of what you actually do that Mm. is not transformative Uh, and ultimately it's got to be about giving your users a better experience Mm -hmm. Uh, it's about creating value so that might be an increase in fundraising income it might be more influence Mm -hmm. it might be uh, more corporate partnerships Mm -hmm. every organization will have a different definition of what value means to them Uh, and I think also obviously looking at where you can create some great digital products and services I like that about having key aims for this as well because I've been in many a meeting where someone has said well obviously this is going to include digital and everyone said well yeah well, yeah, of course it is yeah we'll, mm. we'll get that involved this will be completely digital it'll be like a W1A sort of meeting <laughs> where the word digital just gets thrown in and it's got a tick box but actually have, what do we want that to achieve why are we including this and, and you know what are the aims of that so yes mm. yeah and, and that language point is really important because I think unless you've got a consistent agreement of what digital really is yeah. uh, and what digital transformation is yeah. then everyone's going to go off and interpret it yeah. slightly differently uh, someone told me this great story about how uh, they were in a meeting with their CEO and the CEO was going yes I love digital transformation and here is my iPhone <laughs> uh, and spent five minutes showing them that their iPhone so I think it that shows why it's really important to get everyone agreed about what these terms mean yeah, I like the one. I don't know. I can't remember which the uh, cartoonist is, but it's the one where the CEO is leading out. Right, we're going for digital transformation. We really want you to work on this. You know, you're going to revolutionise the company. And then the next minute, the next slide is like the 18-year-old intern coming in with his social media profile. Okay, I'll get that done for you straight away. You know, it's <laughs> kind of like what they interpret as digital transformation. <laughs> so I, I think so. One of the kind of first times we came across you, actually, I think myself came across you was at Third Sector Conference a few years ago, and it may have been actually just before you launched the charity digital skill report but can you talk us through where the idea for the report came from what you hope to achieve from it and 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 when you set it up so we set it up in 2017 uh, and the report came about as a result of a wonderful partnership that we have with an organization called skills platform who are part of a charity called the Workforce Development Trust. And we'd worked with them creating something called the Charity Social Media Toolkit, Mm -hmm. uh, which is essentially a free toolkit to uh, help charities use social media more effectively. And they said to us, look, what else do you think the sector needs? 
And part of my job is to keep an eye out on what's going on in other sectors around digital. And I'd noticed that uh, you have some organisations like Deloitte and McKinsey doing these really interesting studies of uh, where various sectors are at with digital and what some of the challenges are and what some of the opportunities are as well. And I thought... Why don't we have an equivalent of that in the charity sector? There's nothing like that. And lo, the idea was born. There you go. And you just released the latest report, which I think it's fair to say has areas of promise, but also shows that there's still a long way to go in in, in many areas, particularly for smaller charities, Mm. on how they kind of upskill their staff, obviously invest in digital and and really achieve their potential. Can you kind of summarise the journey of the report and how the sector's changed over the last three years? Yes, yeah, so overall, over the last three years, I would say that the pace of change has been quite slow. And charities need to increase this, they need to pick up the pace uh, to really unlock the benefits of digital. So 2019, obviously, as you said, saw a bit of progress uh, in charities' digital skills in some areas. But there are other areas where things have stagnated and also decline in some places as well. And the findings indicate that some charities are really struggling to use digital strategically. Uh, And I think that's a big question for us as a sector and for our organisations. Are we where we want to be? Are we making these changes fast enough? And what could we do to increase the pace of digital progress? Okay, and is that what you hope that charities will will use the report for and that's the value in it, that they will see this and reflect on their own practices and move on from that? Yeah, how I'd recommend that charities use it is is first of all, because there's so much data and some really interesting findings in there, um, using it to sit down and say, well, you know, where are we in relation to the rest of the sector? So I think it's it's a really useful benchmarking tool. Uh, And it's also a a good way to keep an eye on some wider trends as well. Uh, So every year we do like to make things, mix things up a bit. There are various things we track from year to year. But this year, for example, we had some additional questions around Brexit, uh, the B word, uh, (laughs) digital ethics. uh, So how uh, charities were were tackling some of the issues around things like algorithm bias and data privacy uh, on the social media platforms. Um, And also a topic which I know we will probably be touching on later, diversity. Mm. And what uh, have you had any support of, of, of organisations such as the IOF and, and, uh, and others in terms of rolling out the report, you, you getting it used by the charities? Mm. Yeah, so uh, obviously we work very closely with Skills Platform on the report. Okay. Um, DCMS and in particular the Office for Civil Society have been so supportive of the report. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they use the report actually as, as, as their part of the way they develop policy. So mm-hmm. that, you know they said in the foreword this year that it has an effect on that, which is lovely to hear. And they've been really good about spreading the word um, and obviously having Margot James involved, who's the Minister for Digital and the Creative Industries, yes. and Mims Davis, who's the Office of Civil Society Minister, also supports 
supporting it and being involved in writing the forward is, is really good. Yep. So having that support has been great. Um, and we're really grateful to lots of organisations out there who have spread the word about the report. Mm. Uh, so Akivo, NCVO, so many people have got out there and, and seen the value of it and also told the rest of the sector about it. Mm. So we're really, really grateful to them. Got some great support out there. And where do you hope, where do you see it going? I mean, what's the... Obviously, I guess it's something that you're committed to for the next next few years. Is there any kind of long-term ambition and, and goal for where the report will go? So we're going to have um, a bit more of a think about that over the summer, actually. But one of the, the things we would like to, to look at, if we can get some resource to do it, is if there are, any, are there any resources that we could provide alongside the report. Yeah. We hear in the feedback from, from charities that the report itself is very useful in terms of a picture of the sector. Yeah. Uh, but... Are there ways in which, for example, we could run webinars alongside it or provide toolkits or just something so that we can, you know, give charities some additional help? Mm. And if there's a charity leader who um, is listening to this on their way to work in the car, perhaps eating a nice tapas meal, perhaps, (laughs) um, is there anything that you would say to to highlight from the latest (laughs) report or what would you like them to do with it? Is there any particular there? So there are three things which I would ask charity leaders to do uh, after reading the report. And I just want to pull out three stats, which I think are especially relevant to that group. We love stats. Stats, (laughs) exactly. Uh, So 73% of respondents told us that they want their senior team to offer a clear vision of digital and what it could help them achieve. And the big question there for leaders is that they need to ask themselves really frankly, do we have a well-defined, a really clear idea of where our charity is going with digital? Uh, And once you have that, it will really help you focus minds and provide a steer on where you're going to allocate uh, those precious resources uh, and, you know, that time that we we all have a very limited amount of. Mm -hmm. And that to me is is, is quite a shockingly high statistic um, because it means seven out of ten charity professionals are not clear um, on where they think their leaders see their organization going with digital and if you think of the amount of money and time that must get wasted as a result of that it's it's quite a concern Uh, so I think that's something for, for charity leaders to look at and and think about and work closely with their staff on you know what's that vision where are we going um the other point um is that as ever a lot of this comes back to trustees uh so the another stat that really leapt out at me from the report was that uh 68 of the people we spoke to rated their board's digital skills as low or having room for improvement 68 percent and there's also been a 3% decline in digitally savvy boards. Mm. So the big question there, if you're the CEO, uh, is to really ask yourself, do I have enough digital skills on my board? Mm. Do I need to find a digital trustee? Mm. Do I need to skill up the rest of the board in digital? Mm. Do they even know what digital means? Mm. Uh, so that's really important. It's interesting that that's mm. gone down. Yes. Over the past few years. So maybe the pace of technology is, is 
well, obviously it's mm. faster than, than we can cope with. Mm. I had a really interesting conversation with someone who is a chief digital officer at a charity about the report. And we were saying how the average tenure on boards, which is around three years, three years quite yeah. often more, mm. uh, and also the average tenure of a CEO, may slightly slow the, the pace of change that we need to see in digital because if you're not getting much movement on your board uh, and your organisation's really starting to move forward with digital, uh, then you need to think about whether you've got the right skills around that board table to make really effective decisions about digital. Mm. Uh, just picking up on the, on the first point around the 7 in 10, mm. I just wondered if you had any knowledge or, or you could put that into context with the wider industry. Because, I mean, it, whilst it seems high... I guess I'm interested in if, is that reflective of, 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 of other businesses outside of the not-profit space or is that not what you've seen at all? I mean, I would need to have an, another look at some of the latest reports mm. at other industries. But it's, it's interesting because I talk to colleagues frequently from retail and accountancy and, and law and, and other industries where uh, they actually share a lot of similar frustrations. Yeah, um, sure. Everyone, regardless of whether you're working uh, in, in retail or, or charity sector or the public sector, is saying we want more from our leaders. Yeah. Uh, we want to, to move more quickly with this mm. thing. You know, the, the funding thing is always a challenge, whatever sector you work in. Mm. Yeah, It's certainly put us off doing any kind of uh, listener survey. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> with that kind of negative results <laughs> we're seeing there. God, bloody, imagine what we'd get. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't like to, I wouldn't like to think. Um, but I'm the sure report, it'd be very nice. Yeah. I'm sure it'd be I'm, lovely. I'm, sure, I'm mm. sure, yeah. Mm, mm. Maybe leave that one for another another show. But the, as, you, as you quite rightly touched on, Zoe, the, the report does kind of highlight a lack of diversity in this sector, particularly in, in, in digital leadership. And as, as, as a BAME female tech leader, how do you think we can encourage more people from BAME backgrounds to move into digital within the sector? So I'm glad you raised this issue. Uh, it's something which is, is really important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a um, half Asian woman and, you know, there, there aren't that many female leaders in tech, uh, let alone BAME female leaders mm. in tech. Mm. Uh, and I've heard some really worrying things lately about some of the, the younger, really talented uh, BAME uh, digital professionals I know, uh, without mentioning any names, who, who are leaving the sector. And I worry that that is because, as a sector, we aren't doing enough um, to make it um, the the right environment for everyone. Mm. And I I think there's a number of things that that we can do. Uh, So one of the first things that I think we need to look at, uh, particularly as we're trying to bring um, BAME digital talent into the sector... It's first of all to really think about how we can make those those job descriptions uh, as attractive as possible. So I still see so many job descriptions where it's very transactional. I think that goes for a lot of different sectors, actually. Yeah. You know, it's so focused on the what, the when and the where of the job. And in the charity sector, we've got such a golden opportunity to talk about the why. Mm. You know, we have these fantastic social missions which just knock big tech companies out of the park, right? You know, they're gold. We need to be doing more with them. So more job descriptions, please, which focus on the why and the how. Mm. Something that tells a really compelling story and is going to bring people in. And we're just on that point, sorry, we're almost seeing tech companies starting to do that in their job applications more than the charity sector right exactly uh, yeah exactly so we need to raise our game there Uh, and the other thing that i would suggest as 
a BAME woman mm. as well, uh, is that I think we really need to make sure we're not just adding on a couple of lines at the bottom of the advert saying we're particularly keen to, you know, hear from, you know, BAME, BAME professionals and that sort of thing. Mm. Because however much thought you, you however much that means to you, it will always come across as an afterthought. Yeah. Um, so if, if it's a priority to your organisation, which it should be, make it sound like a priority. Mm. Make it sound important. Mm. Uh, and it was really interesting because I just joined the board of Tech Trust back in January. Okay. And they were really open about the fact that they want to be more diverse and particularly want to be more diverse on their board. And the CEO there, Jonathan Chevalier, I thought it was brilliant because he really sought my advice as they were looking to recruit more trustees after they brought me on about how they could do that. And he said, well, look, what would attract you as a, a BAME woman? Um, and I was saying one thing which I think would really make a big difference is if you can link that need for greater diversity back to what your organisation is trying to achieve. Uh, so he then put in the job description that uh, it was really important to have greater diversity on their trust board because it would help them build the digital products and services of tomorrow mm -hmm. that is a great reason to join an organization yeah yeah absolutely i was going to say I, I mean i guess that's one example of someone maybe doing it right but is, is it do you have another example of is there other things that you've seen or any organizations that you've thought okay they they've actually taken the feedback on board mm -hmm. they, they're talking the talk so to speak I think it says a lot that I can't actually think of any other yeah, examples. I stand corrected. If there no. are some out there, please do tweet us. Was I, I'd love to see them. Mm. Um, and actually, that, that leads me to my final point about mm. how to uh, create more diversity uh, and how to attract more, more BAME applicants. Um, if you are saying that you want your organisation to be more diverse, um, please, when we, we come to our website, on your website, um, if everyone on in those photographs is a 50 57-year-old white guy, yeah. we are going to question whether you are truly committed to diversity. Mm. Kenneth is going to lose out on the royalties on some of those photos, though, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> there we go. I've seen him plastered all over a certain charity. He's not 57, though, yeah, to be fair. He though, doesn't he? <laughs> no, he doesn't. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think you're Don't being unfair. I have to do this all the time. <laughs> 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 yeah. um, but on that, on that note, do you, um, and you'll be far too modest to say this about yourself, maybe, but role models of seeing people like yourself in, in those positions, that's got to be key as well to see that. Yeah, I think that's absolutely vital. Um, and, and I will make an, an open offer now. Uh, if anyone out there from a, a BAME background is thinking about leaving the sector or thinking about joining the sector, um, mm. I'm really happy to do a call with you. Um, mm. Just tweet me at Zoe Ammer or email me on zoe at zoeammer.com mm. um, because we need you in the sector. Your contribution mm. is really important. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the conversation we had with Roberta, actually. So one of our previous guests was that I mentioned at the start was a Brazilian tech entrepreneur, failed a couple of times, been very successful in a, in a games business, actually, which is completely outside of the sector. But one of the things that she's trying to do now is in, inspire that next generation through YouTube. And she started creating a, a series of videos around challenges and how to think about starting your own company. And, and she wants to be a face that, look, I'm not the same as typically you would see on YouTube or a typical tech startup entrepreneur. But, you know, hopefully that can inspire the next generation. And, and as you say, it's a, very much about people want to see people who are like them in those roles. So, exactly. Yeah. And I'm trying to get myself out there more talking about that issue as well. Yeah. How do you do that, if you don't mind me asking? Like, what have you, what have you, do you kind of make a conscious effort to, in, in terms of your 
I guess, personal brand almost mm. or you're doing? It's, it's, it's a really, really good question. And in fact, I asked Mandy Johnson's advice about this and also Lucy Collins, who I mentioned mm. earlier, because the, the irony is that uh, despite being a BAME woman, um, I actually feel a little awkward sometimes talking about diversity mm. um, because... You know, even though I am from that background, I worry about saying the wrong thing. I worry that I may inadvertently offend someone. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I'm really, really keen to do it in the right way. Mm. Uh, and I guess the reason why I've not talked about it very much before over the last few years uh, is that I always wanted people to focus on digital, not me. I want them to focus on how we can be even better and make more of a difference as a sector. Mm. So that's why I've, I've resisted talking about it for a while. But I, I guess just speaking about my experience, speaking yeah. about some of the challenges I faced, of which there have been many as, as a woman and also mm. as, as, as someone from a BAME background, mm. uh, just gives people permission to start yeah. talking about is it. And maybe diffi- think it's a difficult balance of saying, I'm here because I'm really good at my job. I'm <laughs> not here because of my background or because of my gender but you've got to get that balance right but they, you know that is me so it, it is a tricky one and, and before we started recording I know we were talking about uh, diversity in the sector and recruitment uh, and personally from my perspective as a BAME woman uh, I would always rather for example be invited to speak on a panel because I was recognised for my expertise um, rather than being there because of my gender or my ethnic background yeah. uh, so I think we, we definitely met Merit is the most important thing. Uh, but yes, we need to make more efforts as a sector to be more diverse. Yeah. The panel's also a little bit easier in case your mind goes completely blank as well. You've always got <laughs> someone there. Just looks yeah. at, looks the person looks to the side and, yeah. Yeah. Kenneth will take this one. Yeah. Just bring along some tapas. That gets the conversation <laughs> going, I find. Yeah, no, I, 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 I can certainly connect because I think I've been guilty and perhaps we've been guilty of not touching the subject as well because mm. I think, you know, a lot of people are a little bit scared about mm. saying something incorrect, especially in a public forum that might outlive us all and be in the world wide web for the for the rest of eternity that you don't want to be say something that's, Can that's you not imagine right. that 20 30 years time people listening back to episode three yeah, that yeah. <laughs> well, you will be 57 you will, you'll be excuse me i will be 57 by then but uh, i think that's i think that's part of it for me though i quite like Absolutely the fact that terrifying. you were documenting uh, a part of our life that we'll listen back yeah, to in you know, it, i mean it, it's a good point really you know related to what you've just said zoe though in in 25 30 years when we're all you know sitting around hopefully having a coffee to work going oh I remember that time we recorded that podcast you know what will the world be like there and will this issue that we're talking about now still exist Uh, I mean we'd like to all hope that it wouldn't but is that is it is it going to take longer I don't don't know it's certainly on the agenda at the moment isn't it Um, it was all over the IWF convention recently that was mentioned a lot Um, yeah you'd hope so I think we will I'd like progress to being that. made mm. yeah so I mean I think the guest leads nicely into our next, next point and before we, we kind of let you crack on with I'm, I'm sure you have a very busy day ahead we wanted to kind of ask your view on, on leadership in the, in the sector and, and, and how that might change in the coming coming years we've obviously read a lot about this topic in recent months it feels like there's a, there's a change in the dialogue about mm. how leadership manifests itself in charities so I guess the question is how, how do you see the role of charity leaders changing in the, in the years to come 
Yeah, so I think we're already starting to see that change, actually. Mm. Uh, and it's reflective of a wider change uh, in, in leadership across society in general. So uh, the way I always explain this is that, you know, traditionally leadership has been about that command and control. Uh, it's been about top down. Uh, it's been about what your job title is. Perhaps even do you have the corner office? Uh, but now I think digital is really about bringing people with you. Uh, it's about creating a community. Mm. It might be quite a short term thing. It might not be about going into uh, a disability charity and, and leading it for the next five years. Mm. It might be about an incredible campaign that you run over the next five months. Mm. Uh, and it's no longer necessarily about your seniority and your place in the rank and file. Uh, so I think some really interesting examples of that are people like Matt Stevenson Dodd, uh, who's just left an amazing charity called Street League uh, to do some work across the sector helping them demonstrate uh, their impact more effectively mm. uh, or someone like Lucy Caldicott I'm not honestly not stalking Lucy Caldicott I noticed I mentioned her a few times but she's <laughs> amazing the fan club is available <laughs> <laughs> she's in the South London charity mafia you should speak oh, to her <laughs> fantastic woman um, and she's just set up her own consultancy helping charities uh, improve their diversity so I uh, I think there's perhaps a, a shift away from that traditional linear route mm. from coming into the sector as a graduate and then working up to being a CEO. Mm. Perhaps it's more about the change that you want to see in the world and being really creative about how you can achieve it. Mm. Nice. I like the idea of that kind of fluid leadership that mm. you would come in and lead a project for, for five months and yeah. Yes. That wouldn't, that wouldn't necessarily then have to keep up the gig for another five years. <laughs> who's the best leader that you've worked for? Oh. Or who's led you? Who's, <laughs> yeah, who's you led have to me? Work. <laughs> I guess a leader leads, don't they? Do they lead you? I suppose so. <laughs> By definition, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um... I am lucky. I've, I've worked with some uh, am amazing leaders. And in fact, I would struggle to mention one. Um, mm. But uh, someone who I think is really amazing is Vicky Browning, who's mm. CEO of Akivo. Mm. Uh, I think Vicky's wonderful because she's very straight talking. Mm. Uh, you know where you stand with yep. her. She's very supportive. She looks out for other women in the sector and will stick her neck out to help you. Mm. And also, she is hilarious. <laughs> uh, incredible gravitas, amazing leadership. Um, but she is brilliant at uh, using humour as well to really engage people. Yeah. And I think that's a really underrated leadership tool. Uh, I was reading a really great interview the other day with Imelda Staunton, the actress. Mm -hmm. And she was saying that if you can make people <laughs> laugh, you can make them listen. Uh, and as well as the incredible insights that Vicky has, I think she's brilliant at getting people to laugh and engage them. But I think, you know, you, you mentioned one for me. For, for me that's important is that support I think mm. that's you know the modern modern leader does have that time when they can support as well as drive as mm. well as lead from the front but you know support and having that ability mm. to listen and I like the point you made about about making people laugh you yes. know like I, th I, I certainly reflect on that as well myself is that if I'm ever feeling down or something's a challenge if someone can come in and say well actually it's not that bad and here's a it's probably the time why I hang around with you so much you, know? <laughs> you, made, you, made, you made me laugh quite a lot but you know <laughs> Laughing is good for the soul, right? <laughs> least, least it really aren't is. As bad as they are, that do more good podcasts. Did you listen yeah, to that? Yeah, I was having some tapas the other day. It was yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But you know, finding the finding the funny element in a lot of things can make a lot of situations much better, much brighter, make things differently. So, they're definitely two two attributes. 
Brilliant. It really can. And I think uh, that emotional intelligence is going mm. to become ever more important. Mm. Mm. Well, we have got you for another five minutes, so maybe <gasps> we'll hit you with the big three questions. The big three questions. Go, go on then, James, you can go first. So if you could place an ad across Facebook, across the world for one day, what would it say and why? I think it would be great to have an ad that talks about the impact that charities have uh, and how many people use charities and how we're actually really reliant on mm. them. Uh, so I think NCBO have done some, some great work, actually, uh, talking about why charities matter, what they do. Uh, I still think there is more to be done to get mm. your average person on the street to understand the difference the sector makes uh, and how we all interact uh, in our lifetimes with charities yeah. more than we realise. Mm, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. That's a good one. I certainly agree with that. Okay, second one. What's the one bit of advice that you've been given in your career that really sticks with you? So not long after I left university, uh, I was working with a woman and I you know, felt like I really wanted to develop my gravitas and, and get people to, to really take me seriously. I think it's a, a classic challenge that a lot of young women find in the workplace. And at the time I was training to be a teacher uh, and I was going into my very first lesson where I was flying solo, teaching on my own. Um, I was in an all boys school which was quite scary. Uh, you can't see this on the podcast but I'm only five foot three and they were all three <laughs> times my height, these boys. And I said to this, this, this uh, tutor who was uh, training us at teacher training college, how am I going to get them to actually engage? How am I going to get them to sit down? And she just looked me dead in the eye and she said to me, Zoe, they will listen to you because you are different. And that has stuck with me my whole career. Wow. I like that. That's, that's, that's did, it, did it work? Did the, did the class sit down and listen? Yes, it good. did actually. Yeah. yeah. All right. Good. And then as a podcast that is focused around people doing more good, uh, what is your favourite story or inspiring individual that you've met on your journey who has done something good for others? Mandy Johnson, I think, has done some really inspiring things across the sector, getting us to talk about mental health. Mm. Uh, I think the, the charity sector is very good at looking after other people, uh, but sometimes we forget to look after ourselves. And Mandy's made that point brilliantly about how in a sector where we all work really hard, we're passionate about what we do, uh, we all need to take some time to look after ourselves. Mm. Uh, we all need to own the responsibility of looking after our teams, uh, looking after their mental health um, mm. and making sure that we're um, well enough uh, to lead really effectively. Oh, nice. nice. Friend there of the pod. Friend yeah. of the pod. Yeah. yeah. No, exactly. Fantastic. I'd, I'd agree with you on that. I think it, it takes those people to kind of stand up and be honest. And obviously she's been very honest and open. And that was one of the reasons we invited her on the pod. And she so kindly came on and spoke about it quite openly. And that can be difficult. But I guess going back to your diversity point earlier is we all need to see people who are standing up there, being honest and being more open. So, yeah. yeah. Shout out. There you go, brilliant. Well, look, is there anything, Zoe, you would like to, to, to leave us with as a, as a closing mark? Or how, how can people find you if they want to talk to you a bit more about what you've mentioned today? Do follow me on Twitter, at Zoe Amma. Um, and just one thing I wanted to mention is that you very kindly said that I was chair of the Charity Digital Cage of Practice. Uh, you might have seen in the sector news that uh, there's now some funding for year two. Uh, so please do uh, use the code. It's a great framework to help people raise their standards in digital mm. uh, to find out what they're doing well and to do even better. And that's over at charitydigitalcode.org. Brilliant. 
Okay. And uh, anything else? Not really. Um, How do we make it into the uh, St Albans Charity Mafia? Well, we to move to you need to move to St Albans. The commute is going to be a bit... <laughs> <laughs> it's only 20 minutes on the train tw- from King's minutes. Cross. You're not bad at all, actually. You wait, next week there'll be hundreds of people banging on the doors of that pub. We'll, g- be, we'll be getting on right moves straight after yeah. this. Yeah. Zoe, thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing that insight. It's, it's great to have people like yourself and thank you for all you do. We really appreciate it. Good it's luck. been a joy. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. Cheers. So James just wrapped up another fantastic episode, if I don't say so myself. How did you find it? It's all right, wasn't it? <laughs> if anyone wants to kind of follow up and actually enjoy this thing, where can they find us? Well, we're on Twitter, Kenneth, at Do More Good Pod. Instagram, at Do More Good Pod. Have we gone multi-channel and even gone to YouTube? We have, but you can find all those videos on the website, domoregood.uk. And if you want to contact us by email, please use contact at domoregood.uk. 